Well, today our passage is in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. And it's talking about the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Ever since the creation of man, one social structure has remained. And that is the, the, the marriage. A marriage between one man and one woman. In the second chapter of Genesis... God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's Genesis chapter two, verse number 24. But since the fall, marriage has always been subject to distortion or attack. For example, in Old Testament Israel and in ancient times, one of the distortions of marriage was was polygamy. And that was where a, a man would have multiple wives or a man would have one wife and multiple concubines, if you want to call them that. And they didn't achieve the status of, of an actual wife. And, and in the Bible's view, it never viewed this kind of an arrangement as a positive thing. It, it always showed it as something that was going to create a problem down the road. Even It never did outright condemn it. Another one of the distortions of marriage was the concept of divorce. For example, in, um, in Deuteronomy 24, verse number 1, the Bible says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then he, she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of his house. Now, that sounds all right, except that what what ended up evolving, I guess, in the way that they viewed divorce is that the rabbis would not focus on the part of the indecency, which is a whole different thing. They focused on the part that said, if she finds no favor, one rabbi who was a famous rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, said that that means that a man can divorce his wife if he finds any kind of favor, for example, if she burns dinner. He said that, okay? Or he said this, he said, if he finds some woman who's more attractive and in his opinion, his wife is plain looking, he can divorce this woman and, and marry another woman. And this is an absolute horrible distortion of an allowance that God made to man. We learned last week that in the Greco-Roman society in which these people lived that Peter was writing to, women were considered little more than property. Divorce could be for any reason. And there's one thread that ties all of these things together that I just mentioned. That one thread is that it's always bad for the woman. It's always bad for the wife. They take the brunt of the negativity. And the attacks on marriage haven't let up, have they? In the West, we're dealing with marriage being completely redefined. It, it, first, they re- redefined it and said, well, we can call it a marriage if it's between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And, and then now, the, the, the latest thing is they redefine marriage by saying that, that uh, we can have one married person married to maybe a man and a woman. That's, that's perfectly acceptable in some states. The, the, the very forefront of this is now, if I want to marry my horse or the tree in my backyard, I can do that too. 
That is the way that marriage is being redefined in America right now. That is the very forefront. You laugh and say that's ridiculous, but that's what's going on. Now, this should cause us to ask a question. And here's the question. Why has there been such a long history of distortions and attacks on the on marriage as God set it up? Well, the answer to that question can be found in Ephesians chapter 5. One verse says this, verse number 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Now, that's the command. But what is important about this is what follows next in verse number 29 through verse 32. It says this, For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And here it is. Ready? I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And that is the key. That is the key issue that's involved in all the the distortions and attacks on marriage. The reason that marriage is under attack and liable to distortion is that it is a symbol, a physical symbol of the eternal relationship of Christ to his bride. And any time Satan can come along and attack that symbol, attack the the symbol, then he's going to do it. And that's what's been going on since the very inception of time as God created it. As soon as the fall happened, it's been liable to distortions. Um, Christ will never divorce His bride. Christ, and, and let me say this, right now, His bride's not very pretty, is she? I'm looking at it. Christ will never look for multiple brides. He's got one. Christ will never treat His bride like property because she is His body. That's what the New Testament image of Christ in the church says. That is why the Bible calls a human marriage one flesh. Christ is the pattern. The Bible says Christ is the head We are the body. It's one flesh. When a man and woman come together in marriage, they are one flesh representing that one flesh relationship, that spiritual intimacy of Christ and His church. Now, Peter, in his epistle, states something a little bit different, not concerning marriage, but about our relationship to Christ. He says that Christ is the pattern for everything. So, for example, in chapter 1 and verse number 22... Um, because of Christ's love, we are to love one another earnestly. In chapter 2, verse number 1, we are to put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy because Jesus was never one of these. He was, he was truthful. Later in chapter 2, he tells us that we are stones in the living temple being built up into the cornerstone. And so we are, are to be... And then... As he goes along, he he tells us that we are to be subject to the governing authorities because Christ was subject to the governing authorities. We are are taught that we are to um, be subject to 
our work, in our bosses, in our work relationships, because Christ was subject to the Lord. Wives are to be subject to their husbands, and because they fear the Lord. Every single one of these situations, Peter is addressing the disadvantaged. Every every everything that we've talked about over the last few weeks has been the disadvantaged one. Then we come to First Peter chapter three, and in verse number seven, and we find this. That now Peter is talking to the husband, and the husband is not disadvantaged in a society. Look at what the verse says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers be not hindered. Now this verse, we see three truths that guide a husband's relationship with his wife. And it begins with the very first word. Isn't that amazing? It begins with the first word. It begins with that word, likewise. Likewise. Homios. Homios. Which means in the same way. We saw this. Christ set a submissive example. Likewise, wives are to be submissive. Now, in verse number 7... We see husbands, he says, likewise, husbands are to follow the same pattern in their obligation. Now, what on earth is he saying likewise? Because he doesn't tell the husbands to submit. What is going on here? The answer is that we see it in the, the way that he, he unpacks this. The first thing that we see is that husbands are to live in an understanding way with your wives. Now, what does he mean? What, what Peter is speaking of here when he says understanding way <clears throat> is not what we think it means. We think that we're supposed to understand our wives, right? Reminds me of the joke about the, um, about the woman walking along the beach and she finds this genie's lamp. And she uncovers it and she starts rubbing it and the genie pops out. And she looks at him and she says, I suppose this is the time when you're going to offer me three wishes. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, first of all, the, the economy is bad. Number two, I'm old. And third, there's a lot of problems in third world countries. So I'm going to give you one wish. And she didn't even hesitate. She, she looked at him and said, I want peace in the Middle East. And she whips out a map and she circles this area. And she says, all these countries are fighting. I want peace in the Middle East. And he looked at him ladder and said lady the, these people have been fighting for thousands of years i'm good but i'm not that good you're gonna have to pick something else so she thought for a minute and she said well you know what i've never been able to find the right man you know one that's considerate fun likes to cook helps with the house cleaning gets along with my family doesn't watch sports all day and you know a husband that understands me and Jeannie looked at her and said, let me see that map again. <laughs> That's not what Peter is talking about when he says wives or husbands talk, uh, live with your wives in an understanding way. The King James Version translates it literally. And it reads like this. Likewise, husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Now, now, what knowledge would he be talking about here? I think the best way to understand it is to get the big picture. Go to um, 
go to I'm going to switch over to What a smooth delivery this is. <laughs> Turn to 1 Peter 1:13. And I think we can see a little bit of what Peter is talking about here. He's talking about the wonder of our great salvation. And Peter says this. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in light of these wonderful doctrinal truths, the application is prepare your minds, be sober-minded, and place your hope somewhere. And then he says, verse number 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Before we were saved, we were ignorant. Not just of salvation, but of the purpose of God in the way that we should live in the world. Every aspect of our lives. So the Christian husband understands That his salvation impacts the way that he treats his marriage. Live with your wife according to knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the eternal truths that God has laid forth, set out for. Once we are saved, that changes the way that we live. It's It's a big picture knowledge, not a small picture knowledge. Before he was saved, a husband lived in the realm of pagan lust, pleasing himself. Now that he's a Christian, he lives in the realm of Christian love. Before he was saved, he viewed marriage through a secular lens. Now he views marriage and its purpose, and he views it through the Son. That It's a picture of an eternal thing. Therefore, as a believer in Jesus Christ, his relationship with his wife is to be put on a different plane than it ever was before. He is to dwell with the woman, his wife, according to knowledge. Now let's just... Let's just look at that knowledge and get a little bit more specific about aspects of that big picture knowledge that we're talking about. First of all, he, he's going to live with the knowledge that marriage is completely redeemed. Marriage is not just another contract, is it? It's, it's, it's not something that we can weasel our way out of, that we can get a, a lawyer and say, you know what, my contract, the wording of this contract's not right. He understands that marriage was ordained from the creation. That it was, it was not good for man to be alone. Isn't that what God said? That's the first not good thing that, that God said. So marriage is a wonderful provision. The Godhead was in relationship with one another long before creation. Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit were communing with the Father for all of eternity past. And they enjoyed that relationship. And one of the most traumatic things to Jesus Christ was not that He died on the cross. It was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in His life, He experienced no communion with the Father. And so based upon that communion and that love... um, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And He created man to enjoy that relationship. It's a redeemed relationship based upon the Godhead. Number two, marriage is to be lived according to God's constraints. Once a man gets married, he, he, he lives a Christian. Once a man becomes a Christian, he lives differently from his buddies. He doesn't la- laugh at the same jokes. He doesn't read the same material. Why? Because he's to dwell with his wife according to knowledge. So that he has is that there are 
constraints. There are restraints on him. There are bounds now on his life because he is now married. He's one flesh with another woman. The third thing that we see is that his knowledge is that marriage has been ordained for a unique purpose. I already talked about this in the introduction. It is to show the fidelity of God with his church. And so we live with that knowledge, men, day after day after day. We are to love our wife as Christ loved the church. We are to sacrifice for them. That means that that every moment that we're awake, when we're not worshiping God, when we're relating to our wife, we think, what is the best for my wife at this moment? That's really hard, isn't it? Especially when you're looking at a bass boat or something like that. I don't know what. So, Number four. He lives with the knowledge of what it means for the wife to obey 1 Peter 1, 3, 1-6. We looked at that last week. That was almost a tough pill to swallow, wasn't it? Compared, when you look at our culture, the way our culture is. But the, the, the husband who looks and understands that his wife is trying to fulfill the obligations of that verse, however difficult they are, that changes the way that he relates to his wife. It's a beautiful thing. Another thing, last thing that I'll mention He lives with the knowledge of what the wife is by nature and what she is by grace. And I'll talk about this in just a minute. Verse number 7 says that she is by nature the weaker vessel, and by grace she is a joint heir. And so that brings us to the second obligation that we see from the verse. What does he say next? The second obligation is showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Now that word weaker vessel is a very interesting word. But I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But let's talk about this phrase, showing honor. The, the, the word honor here is, is a word that's talking about you treat something like it's really valuable, like it's precious. Like it's, it's, it's the most precious thing that you have. Now, how do we treat precious things? We treat them very carefully, right? My daughter, when she was a violin student from the age of four. Now she's a violin teacher in adulthood, but I remember um, her teacher would occasionally, who was a, a first violinist in, in two orchestras, and her teacher one time had a violin bow, and Jessie was about six years old, and she said, I'm going to let you hold this bow so you know how to treat a bow. This bow is worth $50,000. And I looked at that bow, and I looked at my daughter, and I thought, Lady, you're... <laughs> can't believe you're doing that. But you treat that much differently than you do a yard sale bow, don't you? The husband is to treat the wife with honor. He is to treat her valuable, precious. In other words, the ones who know Christ know that he is a precious cornerstone. So husbands are to treat their wives with preciousness. Let me ask you something, men. Do your wives know how valuable they are to you? Things that we value or consider precious, we treat with special care and courtesy. If I were to ask your wife, husband, do you make her that apart from Christ, she is the most precious relationship you enjoy in this world? Would she answer yes? 
Do you husband make sure that the preciousness of your wife is manifested and exalted and experienced and enjoyed by her? Have you sat down to consider what the implications are when your wife endeavors to live out 1 Peter 3, 1-6? What the culture says to her. How little valued that is to them. Culture does not value what Peter says in the first six verses. We talked about that last week. They mock it. And any woman who dares to live by those ideals is looked at with scorn by our culture. Have you husbands thought about what that means for your wife that she'll honor Jesus Christ and to live out those ideals. And if you know that your wife is trying to live out those ideals, you should let her know how precious she is to you. Not just with words. You ought to serve her. Husbands are the wife's servants. Servant leadership. Honor her as precious. Do everything you can for that woman as she grows in Jesus Christ and you grow in your marriage. Husbands, that is what it means to honor her. But you're to honor her in, in, in a different way. And I'm going to transition and show you what I'm talking about here. In Scripture, when you look at Scripture, you never find anywhere in Scripture where a man is to command his wife. I was doing some marital counseling one time. And it was not going well for the couple. And they were in arguments. And basically, the husband wanted his way. What person doesn't want their way, right? And and we're sitting we're sitting here, and and there was, I can't remember exactly what we we're talking about, but all of a sudden she just lit up and flared up, and I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? And she said, as we were talking, he he looked at me and said, I'm the husband. You do what I say. You're supposed to honor me. I'm like, holy cow. So. Um, don't ever say that to your wife. <laughs> Nowhere in Scripture do you find that the wife, the husband is to command the wife. He's, a husband is never told to call his wife to submit. In matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. What is he called to do with his wife? He's called to love her. He's called to let her know how precious she really is. And I want to show you the type of honor that, that Peter says we are to bestow upon the wife. Look at the verse again, verse number 7. He says this. He says, honor her as what? What? The weaker vessel. The weaker vessel. Now, there's, there's a lot of debate about what this means, but I want to focus on one word. You ready? Weak-er. It doesn't say the weak vessel. It says the weak-er vessel. Implication? All of us are weak. As a matter of fact, look at chapter 1 and verse number 24. Peter already establishes that. 1 Peter 1.24. He says this, For all flesh is like grass, and the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Peter is telling the husband that he, he is weak as well. And he says the wife is the weaker vessel. Now this is not derogatory as a matter of fact. It's not viewing the wife as inferior. One of the, thing, one of the implications that I just want to mention, I'm going to move on, is that generally the wife is weaker physically, right? Generally. Now I've met some that aren't. 
But generally the wife is weaker physically. But I do not believe this is what Peter is talking about here. Now guys, I want you to really follow because this is so important that you understand what I believe Peter is teaching here. It will it, it'll really help you out. They're not mentally weaker. They're not morally weaker. What is the way that they're weaker? I believe that he's following his argument of the first six verses that when a wife submits to her husband, she purposely places herself in a position of vulnerability. I always I knew I was going to struggle with that word. Vulnerable, vulnerable ability. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Okay. She is intentionally placing herself there if she follows that. She's placing herself in a place of weakness. You see? I think he's following his argument. It's not that they really are weaker in any respect. So, so in essence, what Peter is saying is, husband, since your wife has placed herself in a position of submission and therefore in a place of, here we go, vulnerability... Do not exploit her. Make sure that you do not take advantage of her. Doesn't that make sense with the flow of the passage? Don't make her do everything so that she's overwhelmed in her responsibility. Don't prevent her from opportunities that come her way. Recognize that delegation in a marriage is not top-down. Delegation in marriage is lateral. It's a lateral thing. So the honor to bestow upon our wives is first, that's the natural realm, the, the earthly realm. But there's a second honor that we place upon our wives, and that's found in the second phrase, since she is an heir of what? The grace of life. Our wives were purchased by the same price. Our wives were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, just like we are men. And so therefore, they are a joint heir of the same eternal life that we get to partake in. Isn't that wonderful? We are equally of value in the kingdom of God, but there are different roles and responsibility. And so when Peter says, honor the wife as a weaker vessel, he's, he's, not, he's saying, treat her as precious, treat her with honor, because number one, if you have a, a wife who's fallen Scripture, she's placing herself where she could be taken advantage of. Don't do it. And number two, because of the tremendous value that she has in Jesus Christ. Doesn't that change the way you think about that verse and about your marriage? Now, all of this is taught for one reason. I really want to encourage you men on the last point of this uh, little verse. All of this is done so that your prayers be not hindered. And this is pointing out the transcendent nature of marriage. What do I mean by transcendent? It means spiritual, doesn't it? Did you notice what the verse doesn't say? It doesn't say, honor your wife, treat her as a weaker vessel, and, and she's an heir so that you can have a fulfilling marriage. It doesn't say, treat your wife this way so that both of you will be happy in your marriage. Does it say that? It doesn't even reference that at all. 
You see, we need to be very careful that we're not worshiping on the idol, the worshiping the idol of a happy marriage. That we're not worshiping the idol of a fulfilled family. That approach to family life is nothing more than idolatry. When you, when you go that way, when you say, I'm going to do this so we have a f- happy marriage, you don't find that in Scripture. You find that every time you relate in marriage, it's to a transcendent truth. I can't worship here or I can't serve there because of my family. My family's important. Are we to make family important? Yes, we are. But there's no approach in the Bible that says that the family is to be the be-all, end-all. The Bible would call that idolatry. And we have to be very careful about that. So what does Peter say? Peter says that men are to fulfill these role relationships that your prayers be not hindered. It's so transcendent. Men, the way that you honor your wife, the way that you treat your life is an eternal plane. Incomprehensibly eternal. There's not one of us here that can comprehend how Christ loves His church. We have an idea, but we can't place any kind of a of a value to it. We're incapable of it. So you have this wonderful opportunity, husbands. You have this wonderful opportunity to display the, the transcendent spiritual nature of your marriage. To show the world how Christ is to His church. To show the Lord that you will honor and obey Him by treating your wife as precious. And by so doing, the Bible says that the windows of heaven will be open to your prayers. God will be pleased God will be glorified. Do you want that? Wives, doesn't that sound like a slice of heaven? Let's strive to bring a heavenly dimension to our earthly marriage. It begins with the men. Lead like men and honor your wives. Lord, we thank You for what a wonderful privilege we have to display transcendent truth in the physical realm. How on earth can I as a man owe the world the love of Christ for His church by loving my wife? What a big responsibility that is. What a big responsibility it is to treat our wives as precious, as valued, What a big responsibility it is to realize that if she's living for the Lord, she's trying her best to live out 1 Peter 3, 1-6. Lord, I pray that we'll remember that this is all so that you'll be pleased, you'll be honored and glorified. And so, Lord, I just ask right now that you work in our hearts. Show us ways where we can become better at that. Maybe this afternoon, husbands and wives will have a conversation about the last couple weeks, Scripture truth and and the struggles that they have or how they can help each other in in becoming more biblical in their marriages. Lord, let's, let's help us to do this because being a Christian changes everything and Christ is our perfect pattern. In His name we pray. Amen.